Your uncle commanded people, made him hop. That's what we want in a king, but you can't do that yet, can you? A yearling needs to grow a little more before he carries any weight. A young hawk needs to be seasoned. You must give an olive tree years before it bears fruit. Muse of poetry, come to his aid, I thought. Could the man produce one more metaphor for animal husbandry? He seemed to be trying. Green wood, I suggested, but even he sensed that there was something unfortunate about a metaphor for a king in which you dry out your royalty before you set fire to it. At least things didn't go in that direction, right? <laughs> Welcome, yearlings, young hawks, and baby olive trees. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's January 10th, 2021. And today we'll be talking about A Conspiracy of Kings, Chapter 19, Part 1, which will be up until the day of the meet. I wish that we could have purely one chapter per episode, but the lengths of the chapters are just too irregular. Yeah. Come on, Megan. You didn't have our podcast in mind when you wrote the book. <laughs> so he's getting ready for the Baron's Meat, which it sounds like a brand of hamburger, but they're they're going to vote on whether or not he should be king. I think he says in there, like, this is kind of usually just a formality. Yeah. Somewhere in there. But it makes me wonder, have the Barons ever, like, denied to make an heir king? And what would happen if they did under normal circumstances? Mm -hmm. Seems like that's a recipe for civil war. But right now they're already having civil war. Right. You know, even if the Medes hadn't stepped in and helped out with this rebellion, maybe they would be voting in someone other than Sophos. It's interesting that he says these meets have, you know, taken place in different places, like not always at Eliza, And it's been like one of them was on a battlefield surrounded by corpses. Like, whoa. Yeah. So you gotta wonder, is that, was that one a formality? <laughs> <laughs> or was it just, like, whoever won the battle? And it is, is, like, this this chapter and this, this whole situation is really a continuation of the idea of theater in this book. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's a ancient ritual where everybody has a part to play and it's supposed to unfold in a particular way but there's something different this time and the outcome is not guaranteed and i think it's really cool that this takes place at a literal theater yeah and not only a literal theater but one that sophos loves like sophos has been here he's seen plays here yeah every year of his life he says and so he's in this place and he's um he's constantly performing he has to be performing he's constantly being watched and he has to try and figure out what other people mean, even though they are also being watched. And the comparisons to theater also kind of... It kind of... I feel there's a connection between... He points out in this chapter that all of the talking that he's doing really, at this point, is to no effect. Like He's trying to convince them that the rule of law is a better way to go than intimidation by his uncle and like this is how they do it in Edis and like you wouldn't have to oh you wouldn't have to be afraid of your neighbors anymore or the king if you do it my way and like he has all these idealistic principles but no one's listening which just kind of like nobody's coming here to have their mind changed right yeah just like in a theater you would perform a play that doesn't deviate from a script yeah and nothing he says is gonna is gonna change. 
Even though he's not saying the lines that Akrotanesh would like him to. And the, the theater is also a, a connection to religion of the gods. This is considered a sacred site. Yeah, no one knows who built the amphitheater. Who, like, put the marble seats in. Yeah. A bit about the acoustics is really cool, too. Anyone standing at the at the base of the amphitheater can be heard in a whisper by those at the very top. Yeah. That sounds divine. So we have ideas here about, like, being seen, being observed, um, what you say versus what you mean. Sophos is constantly trying to interpret what other people think of him here and he's not always doing a great job of it he's really nervous about meeting the servants he doesn't know what his father thinks i was sick with trepidation and this at the necessity of meeting the servants never mind my barons and then later i was looking to see some sign that they despised me and not seeing it i was convincing myself that i was blind so he's doing that thing again where he assumes that everybody must be thinking badly of him at all times <laughs> Even though a fun thing here is that there's multiple, there are multiple moments in this chapter where you can see that Sophos actually is intimidating. Um, there's the one where uh, Nomenis says something and he just turns to look at the guy and the guy says, oh, I, I, I didn't mean to offend you because Sophos, his face is scary. And then there's um, when he yells, he sees Basris, which is a great scene. And he, he yells out Basris's name at the top of his lungs and he says that to his great surprise, Basra stops in his tracks because Sophos is a big, scary guy. As well as with the might and authority of a country behind him now. Yeah. Sophos has all these idealistic plans for making the country more just, but he also has no plans to change the fundamental class structure. He's promising all the barons, no, we're not getting rid of the oligarchy. The landed nobility will still be above the people who don't have land. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Which is somewhat different from Atolia, who she consolidated her power by raising up common people in the military, professional soldiers, because they would be loyal to her rather than their own. And it kind of makes me wonder at this point, is Sophos just saying that in this chapter because he's talking to barons or does he mean it? Yeah. And he's saying, you know, in Edis, there's a rule of law for everyone. And he says, I, like, I told them how it works in Edis, which makes me think that the government of Edis must be significantly different from the other two countries in ways that we don't really get to see. So I'm wondering if once he's actually in power, he's going to do anything differently. Yeah. I think it's cool that... I mean, obviously, we don't we don't really get to the... We don't really get to the gun in the in the part of the chapter we're talking about today. But guns are also, they're inaccurate in this world, the level of technology that they have. And so, like, relying on a gun is sort of a crapshoot. But I think I think there's a, there's a difference between, like, you know, maybe the reason Sophos' gun works so well in, in this chapter is he's had all morning to line up his shot. Yeah. So it can be a precision instrument, I guess, if you have a lot of time or... I don't know if you're really practiced aiming, whatever. The act of it is, it is on some level a leap of faith. Like, he can't know that that's going to work, mm -hmm. even if he makes yeah. the shot. Why do you think polystrictease comes up again? 
in this chapter? Um, Polly's striptease. I think, I think it's, I think it's just related to what we've been saying before about how Sophos really does use these stories to help him sort out his own life. Mm. Barons are a a herd he has to manage. Mm. Maybe there's another connection between the divine and the mortal. You know, this is a story where the gods step in right in front of you. We're in a sacred precinct. And he needs his... Like, he's got all these barons who are unruly goats. And he needs a dog. Maybe he needs to be the dog. And then we get that mm-hmm. idea of the wolf again. There's a lot going on. Much to yeah. consider. Hmm. And um, when he's meeting with all of these barons, they do it in a room... Uh, covered in murals, he narrates winter, spring, summer, and fall. Four beautiful women carrying baskets of fruit or flowers, or in the case of winter, bundles of spindling branches. All of them with their backs to me, which I didn't take for a particularly encouraging omen. Hmm. Hmm. What do we do with that? What does this mean? <laughs> Is this just him projecting again? Maybe they have their backs turned to Akrodinesh. Yeah. To everyone in the room. You know? Oh, sometimes a mural is just a mural, Sophos. <laughs> and and Sophos, like, he does sort of have to fend for himself in this scenario. He had the direct help of the gods, or or at least advice, before. But now they've maybe turned away and, like, it's in his hands now. Because the gods aren't just going to do everything for him, you know? Yeah. Humans still got to have free will. He mentions uh, rumor is a hydra. I also like that he says he's uh, battle-hardened from all the meetings in Atolia. <gasps> What's the deal with the Bazar scene? I know you asked that in the notes, but I want to ask you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never really understood why is that in here. Um, I guess on one level it's meant to... Uh, Redeem Bazarus as a character, maybe? Yeah, they have this sort of genuinely friendly moment. And Akretnesh ain't happy about it. Yeah. I guess it goes back to, you know, what we've been kind of saying about, like, I, I do just work here <laughs> type of deal. <laughs> but also, Bazarus is a slave catcher, which adds a different dimension to that than, you know, just regular servants or whatever. So Sophos wonders in here, um, Akritanash says, like, oh, this is, uh, the rat catcher. And, um, Pazrus supplies the name of a rat catcher from, like, Sunesian myth or something that Akritanash won't recognize because he's a Mede. And then, uh, Akritanash says that, uh, Pazrus has been clearing the compound. And Sophos wonders, does that mean like human quarry or is that just something is that just a a rat excuse or something Mm. i don't think we ever get the answer to that and the fact that he was there in the first place where sophos could run into him yeah what is he doing here worried about that at all yeah and i guess that's how confident they are about their hold over him. But of course this conversation doesn't go 
the way Akretnish expects or, or wants it to go. He's not expecting Basarus and Sophos to be on good terms. Yeah. And Basarus says that he was glad to hear that uh, Sophos' mother and sisters were safe. And maybe Sophos was allowed to run into him, or at least, like, not kept away with him, whatever, as another sort of power move, like, giving back the sword, like, it doesn't care, it doesn't matter how much you dislike this guy. Yeah. Because you can't do anything. You have to play this part where I tell you that he's the rat catcher, named after a rat catcher from a rhyme, and you have to pretend that you believe that, and we're all going to do our little theater. They're trying to convince him to have a regent because he's so young, which is interesting because how young is he that that works as an excuse? Yeah. I think um, when he was in the in the barracks in Hinactos, he said the youngest was 14 and he himself was a year or two older than the youngest in the barracks. So he's 15 or 16 at this point, I guess. Well, maybe 17 because wasn't he there for like a year mm. or like eight months or whatever. And that seems... In the context of this world, to be adult enough. Yeah. At the very beginning, when he's still on Letnos and he still has a tutor, he says, uh, like, my tutor was still switching my hands, even though I was long since old enough to be considered a man. Mm. So that implies, you know, 14, 15, 16, maybe is the cutoff. What's... I don't know. So, I mean, the Regent thing could be just another instance of, of blatant bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's... He also... Uh, Akritanesh also says, uh, you were in seclusion on Letnos for some time as a as another excuse for mm. um, having a Regent. His dad hugs him again. It's kind of interesting that they never had to... Like, I was kind of expecting Sophus tipping up, like, oh, why don't you want my father to be a regent? Do you not agree with his policies or something? Don't you like him? <laughs> and it, it is... Like, his father has this newfound affection for him. But at the same time, Sophos still isn't certain that his father is going to support him politically. He doesn't know what his father thinks. He's really uncertain about that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot to him. It really worries him. This whole book, he's he's so insecure in, in his relationships. And everybody except the mages, really. Yeah. Like, he, he gets to a point of understanding with Jen, and he gets to a point of understanding with Helen, but it, it, it takes a breakthrough both times. I feel like there's something more to say about Nominus spending this whole chapter feeding him false information. Yeah, big jerk. What's 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 the deal with I don't know, a cautionary tale about listening to people who aren't on your side. But of course, other times Sophos trusts someone that somebody else maybe wouldn't and it pays off for him. Right. Which also happens a lot in Return of the Thief. Like I feel like a big theme in Return of the Thief is not falling victim to paranoia. About yeah, that kind of absolutely. Thing. The way 
Atolia describes this, well, no, I guess she more describes the aftermath, saying that, you know, he granted Nominus mercy and was rewarded with Nominus asking for more mercy, but that's not really talking about the betrayal. Hmm, I don't know, because, you know, we've talked, we've talked a lot in previous episodes about previous books or whatever about how, you know, you need to be able to rely on other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it also reinforces the power that people who are essentially servants have. I mean, attendants are nobles, but they're, they're still essentially servants. Mm-hmm. But they can do a lot of damage or good. Yeah. Every person matters. Yeah. Which is something that Sophos is is learning. And it's also a big theme in Return of the Thief. We're kind of moving towards those ideas. Which is really cool and great, because the thief is like, oh, this little nobody from nowhere will change the world, except actually it turns out that he was one of the most important guys in the whole place the whole time. And then we get more of that actual variety of people as it goes. Because I remember you saying at the end of The Thief, you know, you were disappointed by that bit. Like, oh, surprise, he's actually rich. Yeah, bum me out. He's not actually a poor person. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Can't be mad at him. Chapter 19, Part 1. Next time, gun! Gun! Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an Amateur Embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. 